this, like I say, this is going to be <clears throat> somewhat of a, a, a story. And that's what these chapters in the Word of God are, is the story of Jehoshaphat and his posterity. Second <clears throat> Chronicles chapter 24, verse number 1. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was also Ziba of Beersheba, and Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. There's so much in that that we're going to be continuing to look at today and maybe in the future here. But he did write as long as good priest Jehoiada was in office and his teacher, his mentor, his counselor was with him, gave him counsel, gave him direction, and he did write as long as he had the right kind of a influence and the right kind of a <clears throat> exterior uh, uh, support. But he started out as a seven-year-old kid on the throne. And, of course, needed some adults around him that would uh, help to uh, assist him in his reign until he got old enough to actually uh, be making those decisions for himself and for a nation. And what a story in how he came to the throne and why he was seven years old when he was actually placed on the throne. We're going to be seeing that. But the story that we read about here in 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verse number 1, was made possible on that day by the acts of a teenage boy some 185 years earlier in a valley just west of Bethlehem. We remember the story of young David and Goliath. You remember <clears throat> he was the youngest of of eight boys, and his older brothers were in the field, and they were, they were soldiers under King Saul. David was sent to bring supplies to his soldier brothers, and uh, of course, like any kid, he wants to know what's going on in the battle. The Philistines are on one side of the Valley of Elah, and, and the children of Israel on the, on the other side, and and uh, there's a proclamation, a challenge being made by the Philistines that had to do with their champion, Goliath. And uh, so the people back home, when David's parents sent them off with some cheeses and some lunch and whatever for his brothers, he came, but he wanted not to just deposit the, the package, but to find out what was going on. Hey, what's going on in the battle? So here... David comes on the scene, and when he gets there, Goliath comes down to the, to the valley with a, uh, an associate, a foot soldier of his, a servant of his, with a proclamation. Bring out a man that we may fight. We don't have to both uh, engage into a uh, national battle here with both sides on the battlefield, just one man. You send your best, we'll send our best. Whoever wins will be the, the winners and we'll rule over the, the losers. Save a lot of life here if you, we'll just do it this way. So send out a man that we may fight. And Goliath, the size of this giant, 
Can you imagine somebody eight to ten foot high? I mean, big man, big man. The, the uh, chapter of, uh, 17th chapter of Samuel uh, ex- explains his armor and the, the size of the man and the, the weight of his shield and his spear and his, and his uh, sword and the helmet and the, the, the greaves of brass that he had. And, and uh, what a sight. I mean, had all of the children of Israel shaking in their boots. But nobody volunteered. Here King Saul, which was head and shoulders above everybody else in the, in the country, the Bible says, probably should have been the one to fight Goliath because he was probably bigger than the others in his army outside of being the king. Maybe they wanted to spare him, but uh, nobody was volunteering. Are you kidding me? To fight this champion, this, this uh, uh, soldier who was an animal, surely would chop anybody up. Uh, they had no chance against this man. So you only had the, the challenge go forth and no answer. Quiet on the Israeli front. And so David shows up at this point and, and he says, what's going on here? What, who, is this? who is this guy who is cursing my nation and, and the God behind our nation? And uh, so they tell him the story about who he is and how that King Saul was going to go ahead and and uh, uh, honor the person that would win in this battle, you know, but nobody's volunteering. The best of the best had no chance before him. And so David, you remember those words, and we're not going to read the story, but he says, is there not a cause? Listen, God must prevail here. His testimony is over the gods of the Philistines, and he's able to take care of this situation. Let me fight. And they're going, you? And his brothers got mad at him at first. And they said, kid, get back home. We know you, what you're here for. Hey, Jacob, how you doing? Good to see you. I know he's going to see you today. Hey, amen. Inter- interrupt my message like that. Why would you do that? <laughs> so anyway, um, so here he's on the field. And, and his brothers are saying, get back home, kid. We know that the naughtiness how your heart... You just came here to see the battle. Well, no, he was sent there by his parents to give the cheeses and the, and the, the bread and everything else so uh, his brothers could, could sustain that day. And, and, um, and, but they were, they were ruthless. And uh, he, had no, he had no time for that. So he, he talks to somebody else saying, wait a minute, now tell me again, what's going to happen to this guy that fights this giant and they said, well, you get the king's daughter and you get to be uh, no taxes in Israel for all the rest of your life and your family and, and you know, this and this and this. And, uh, and so uh, the king hears about it. And he says, well, who's asking about this? Nobody was except, except David. And so he, he says, send that kid. So he, he comes before the, the uh, uh, king and here's this little guy. He says, hey, I'll go out there and fight. And he says, you, pipsqueak, you teenager, look at this guy. I mean, everybody in the whole chapter is, is over and over and over again um, going over the dimensions of this man and the weight of his armor and the, and the, the uh, uh, experience that he had and, and the chances of anybody facing him on the field. And they say, you can't fight him. You're just a youth. He's been a man of war from his youth. And so David says, listen, I was out there in the field and I'm a shepherd, and, 
And uh, that's what I'm supposed to do. That's the, my God-given responsibility right now in life. And I was a shepherd, and, and there was a bear that came after, well, there was a lion first, came after the, the sheep, and I killed that lion. And then there was a bear even bigger than the lion, and he came, and, and I killed that bear and didn't let him harm the sheep. And he says, this, this Philistine will be no, no more than this uh, lion or this bear. God's able to give me him. And just let me get out there and fight. And, and so they go over and over again of his inadequacy and how big Goliath is. <clears throat> David was nothing near a warrior with no chance of survival. None whatsoever. Chance of survival on the battlefield against this monster. And the, and the, the stakes were high. But nobody else was offering. So Saul says, okay. I'll put my, my uh, uh, armor on you. You don't have armor. I'll put, you know, and Saul's a big man, and he puts, he puts his armor, it was like if I was to wear Brother Mike's coat, you know, to be down to my knees, you know, and here's, here's David with his stuff. Says, I can't use this stuff. I've not tried them. I've not proved them. He says, give me my sling and my staff. That's what I'm used to. And he collected five stones, and he heads out there on the battlefield, and <laughs> what a faith. What a relationship with God that was unique. It was special. It was unheard of. A wild chance. David facing the the giant. And you know the rest of the story. One sling of his crack crack shot aim from this shepherd boy catches Goliath in the forehead. And Goliath comes down face first like a mountain. And here he is, Goliath is laid out cold. But nobody's moving. Everybody from the stands are just, they don't know what to think. They don't know if he's going to get up. Is he dead? Is, <clears throat> is he just unconscious? What's going to happen? He's gone. And David, to prove the, the victory there, he comes and he climbs this man. I could see that, like a mountain. He's climbing this man. He gets on top of him and he takes Goliath's Sword, which the Bible talks about his sword and the weight of that thing. I can imagine that, that, that uh, David could hardly even move the thing. And he takes Goliath's sword and he lifts it up over Goliath's head and he chops off Goliath's head. Now everybody knows it. <laughs> He's dead. <laughs> I mean, there's no question about that. And they're all rejoicing. And I can see David, he's just, he's jumping for joy on top of Goliath. And every time he jumps, there's, there's blood squirt out of the neck. Man, I tell you, what a scene. What a scene. And the Bible says then the, the children of Israel, they had a great victory and, and they, they chased the Philistines, which didn't keep up to their, their uh, bargain there. They're running away and there's a great victory. And, and David takes the head of Goliath and Goliath's sword. The nation of Israel won that day. God won the battle that day. The testimony of God was glorified. See, it wasn't David that actually won that, that battle. It was God, just as David said. The Lord's able to do this, and the fight is the Lord's. And he understood that, and, and he understood, God, you could use me if you want to use me for this, and, and uh, I'm nobody, and I can't do this, but God, you can, and you're bigger than this monster, and we could go ahead and do this. 
and the nation of Israel won. The testimony of God was glorified. Can you believe it? Can you believe what happened? I mean, here's David. After, afterwards and after this whole thing's settled and, and uh, he brings the, 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 uh, the head back to uh, the king, David could hardly believe it. And like Tom Brady's jersey, David wanted to take home a memento of the day. Did they ever find that jersey? Did they ever find it? They said that the, the, the feds were going to get in and, and, and uh, search for it. Did they ever find it? Anybody know? Did they? And, and so is it, was it stolen or what? He hid it. <laughs> Maybe he forgot what he did with it, huh? <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear about that story after this sermon. But anyway, that's, that's cool. Um, so here, after, the, after the, the, the battle with David and Goliath, he, he wants a memento. And you know what David does? Bringing back to his tent, he grabs the sword of Goliath. And he, I, can, I can see David in his tent that night saying, man, pinch me. Could this actually be? Did God do, actually, did God do what he did through me? Here it is, I have the sword of Goliath. And he sees that thing, that, that amazing weapon, and, and he's just kind of polishing it, and he's saying, wow. And it was, it, was, it was something that was special to him, that sword. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 54 says, And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor, Goliath's armor, in his tent. That sword, the sword he could hardly lift, was a reminder of God's power and God's victory. It became a valued trophy of David's. It was something to look back on and say, Look what God did. Can you believe what God did here? I was just willing. I just stepped out by faith. And I said, God, if you can use me, I'm here. And boy, he sure did. He used him. What a trophy. We'll see this very sword later when David is running for his life from King Saul. And King Saul had some emotional and psychological problems. His head wasn't right. And he'd get this this spirit about him, jealousy and whatever. I mean, they started praising David and uh, even more than Saul, and Saul couldn't take that. And So he, he started after David, and, and he, he actually wanted to kill. He wanted to kill David. And so in the next few years, David is running for his life from King Saul. And there's this one time that he comes, and he needs a weapon, and he, and he comes to the... the uh, the house of God, the tabernacle, and it says in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse number 8, David said unto Ahimelech, that was a priest at the, at the uh, worship place, David said unto Ahimelech, and is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, uh, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it, for there is none other save that here. And David said, there is none like that. 
give it me. He says, there's no sword left. I know that sword. I know about that sword. What was it doing in the, in the temple? Well, it was, it was David's trophy. But it was a, a trophy to God and what God could do. And so they took that trophy and they put it in the house of God. Can you imagine that? Can you see a, some kind of a, a, a display with this massive sword? The sword of Goliath, taken by David to cut Goliath's head off. You know, wow. But there it was, in the temple. What was, what was it doing? Well, no temple was a tabernacle back then. What was it doing in the tabernacle? Well, it was a cherished reminder to the whole nation of what the Lord could do. It was a trophy. And we'll see that David continued with the practice of taking the enemy's shields and swords when he became king, and then he, he put those weapons in a divine trophy case in the house of God. Later, you'll read in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse number 7. And David took the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. Here's one more conquest of David when he was a man of God and when he actually ran an army. And every time that they went out and every time that they, they uh, 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 had victory because God gave them victory, he took those weapons and he, he cherished them. They brought them to the temple and they put them up as in their trophy case. Wow. And you know what? David was a man of war in his prime. And God blessed him with, with conquest after conquest, victory after victory. And when God was with him, I mean, they were unstoppable. And the enemies, they kept on winning. They kept on overcoming their enemies. And he kept on building this trophy case in the temple. I could, I could imagine that trophy case. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, there were so many trophies taken into the house of the Lord by all the victories and all the conquests of David, that the trophy case grew to become an ar arsenal. Like it was an armory. And we'll see this later on in our story this morning. Now, I had to, I had to kind of uh, backtrack. What do you call that? Uh, give a back, uh, back, what was that? Backstory, yeah, but there's a... Back something. Background, nah. Keep going, keep going. Prequel, nah. <laughs> you know, when, you, when you, you have a story, and I digress. What is that called? Well, anyway. Okay. I had, you all get the picture. I, the reason why I, I said that was because it's important to the story. Okay, drop it, folks. <laughs> we'll go on. We're going to go on here. And the reason why it was important to the story is because here's a trophy case, and later on, you're going to say, where did all those weapons come from? From David. Eight kings later, we meet Jehoshaphat and his great-grandson, little king, little king Joash. Now, last week, we began to look at the good and the bad in Jehoshaphat. Remember, uh, Jehoshaphat overall was a great king. Served the Lord. He wanted to do what's right. He wanted to follow God. For the most part, he was a good king who intended to follow the Lord and and did many good things. As a matter of fact, most of the report of his life was good. There's like two or three chapters um, prior to 2 Chronicles 24. There's about two or three chapters that go over his, his good things and how he led the children of Israel to, to honor God and to worship the Lord. There's so much to say about the beneficial things that Jehoshaphat did in his life to, to influence others. 
But in the relatively small and seeming, seemingly insignificant way, he disobeyed the clear command of the Lord to separate from evil. You know, God said, you're not supposed to be like the world. You're not supposed to hobnob. You're not supposed to have them as best friends. You're not supposed to, to be immersed in the world and have good friends and, and love those that hate the Lord. Do you remember that last week? That little, that little disobedience did immeasurable damage to him and to his seed. It was a sobering thing to begin to look at the seeds of his own destruction that he sowed in his life last week. You remember when we looked at, at uh, Jehoshaphat and his son Jehoram. He married Athaliah, ay, ay, ay. a wicked woman in the image of her evil mother Jezebel. Thus we see the vile life played out in Jehoshaphat's son, uh, Jehoram, who slew any comp competition for the throne in his siblings, his brothers and sisters, and then was twice the evil influence of his idol and hero Ahab. One reason for his filthiness was the, the spurring on from little Jezebel, Athaliah, Jezebel's daughter. That was his wife. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 21.6, And he walked in the way of, of the kings of Israel, not Judah, not uh, the good side of, of the, the nation. No, no, the wicked side of the nation of Israel, like as did the house of Ahab, for he had the daughter of Ahab to wife, and he wrought that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord. He was evil in the eyes of the Lord, and he had Athaliah to spur him on just as Ahab had Jezebel to spur him on. You remember Ahab's life. Oh, what you crying about? Oh, nothing. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll go ahead and get Naboth. You remember that whole thing? Here's Athaliah doing the same thing to her husband, Jehoram, Jehoshaphat's son. And I'm telling you what, boy, did she ever influence him in bad, bad ways. Let me stop here and say this. Women, you are an immense influence upon your marriage upon your family, and upon the community around you for good or for evil. You don't know the, the impact that you have, but you have a, an immense impact. <clears throat> so anyway, this week we're going to continue with the narrative in Jehoshaphat's legacy. Jehoram, his son. He was rebuked by Elijah a contemporary prophet that was around during those kings. Second Chronicles 21, verse number 12. And there came a writing to him from Elijah, the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of David, thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat, thy father, nor in the ways of Asa, remember, good king Asa, of Judah, but has walked in the way of the kings of Israel, and, and made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to go a-whoring, like to the whoredoms of the house of Ahab, and also has slain thy brethren of thy father's house, which were better than thyself. You remember, he gets the throne, and he kills his brothers and sisters just so there's no competition for the throne. What a rascal. What a rat. He goes on to say in verse 14, Behold, with a great plague will the Lord smite thy people and thy children and thy wives and all thy goods, and thou shalt have great sickness by disease of thy bowels until thy bowels fall out by the reason of the sickness day by day. What a horrible way to die. I mean, what a horrible way to die. You find just verses after that. That's how he died. Whatever the sickness that he had, it came to, to the place where his intestines 
spilled out, and he died. Wow. Look at his son. His son, Azariah. Jehoram's son follows hard after his dad, away from God. Same direction, away from God. Second Chronicles 22, verse number 2. Forty and two years old was Azariah when he began to reign, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Athaliah, the daughter of Omri. You remember, here's Athaliah, that wicked uh, uh, Jezebel echo. And she was the counselor to her son. Let me tell you, kid, what you need to do. This is how you need to do this. this and, and she was the counselor. He also walked in the, in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. Wherefore, he did evil in the sight of the Lord, like the house of Ahab. For they were his counselors after the death of his father to his <clears throat> destruction. Let me say this. You are going to follow somebody. You're going to follow somebody's advice. You're going to go the way of, of the way that somebody will, will counsel you to go. Whose counsel are you listening to? Who are you paying attention to? Who are the friends that you, that you take your advice from? You better be careful about that because everybody gets advice from somebody around them and you're going to go somebody's way. Whose counsel are you taking? Boy, this guy, he certainly was in the wrong way. <clears throat> Are you listening to the counsel of the Lord? Of his word? Are you listening uh, to the counsel of the godly around you? Or, or are your counselors the world? Or popular psychology? Or social values? Or unsaved ec- experts around that you just kind of uh, trust? Hey, you better be careful about who you're listening to. Well, when Ahaz- Ahaziah dies, which is only a year into his reign... You wouldn't hardly believe this until you read the text. His despicable, power-hungry mother, Athaliah, sees her chance. Her son, the king, dies, and then immediately she murders all of her grandchildren. Can you believe that? So that she can claim the throne for herself. She was never supposed to be on the throne. But see, she never played by the rules either. She was wicked and she was just power hungry. Whatever it was that she wanted to do, she did. And she pushed her way and she got accomplished what she wanted. She kills her grandchildren. Goodness. Yeah, let's go over to grandpa's house. Let's go to grandma's house. <laughs> Not that one. Goodness. Second Chronicles 22.10, but when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the seed royal of the house of Judah. Folks, this was wrong, and everybody knew it. But she was so powerful by this time that no one dared challenge her. But here's where some of a godly remnant stand up to the evil. One of Ahaziah's sisters this would have been Athaliah's daughter. Ahaziah's sister, uh, let me see if I can pronounce this name correctly, Jehoshabeth, Jehoshabeth, the wife of Jehoiada the priest. She quickly acts to rescue her newborn nephew, Joash. By the way, I got a newborn grandson this week. Isn't that cool? That's so good. <laughs> He's wonderful. Anyway. We'll be seeing him soon, <laughs> soon enough. 
Um, so she takes the newborn of her nephew, Joash, and she sees Athaliah in a rage. And she knows what Athaliah is doing, and, she, and, period, and, and systematically she's killing off all of the seed royal, all of the grandchildren that she has. And so uh, let's call her Auntie Beth, Jehoshabeth or whatever. Let's call her Auntie Beth. Auntie Beth comes, grabs Joash, and hides him. Says, I'm not letting my wicked mother get to you. I'm going to hide you. And so she takes the kid, and she hides him in the palace, in the, in the, the, uh, the temple. <clears throat> Auntie Beth steals away and hides the infant Joash. And for six years, she, she keeps the kid a secret. What a story. Can you imagine those six years where Athaliah is around? Now, she probably didn't visit the temple much. She didn't have anything to do with God, and that's probably uh, his salvation because she wasn't around the temple much. She didn't care for the things of the Lord at all. And so here is, is uh, uh, Auntie Beth keeping little Joash for six years. She raises him. She, she brings him up, and, and she's, she's got to have him obey when, when uh, uh, the, the uh, uh, royal entourage comes through. Shh, don't say a word. Keeps him hidden in the temple for six years. Let's take a look at it. Second Chronicles chapter 22. Now, you might not be able to, to uh, read through if we have it on the, on the uh, uh, board here. So if you want to get your Bible and open it up and read it, because we're going to be reading a, a long passage of Scripture. This is the story of what takes place. It's a marvelous story. This is, this is so cool. Folks, this is so cool. Here we go. Second Chronicles chapter 22, verse number 11. That jo- Jehoshabeth, the daughter of the king, took Joash the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons that were slain and put him and his nurse in a bedchamber. So Jehoshabeth, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada the priest, for she was sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she slew him not. She didn't find him, didn't know he was around, thought she got everybody. After she got everybody, she sits on the throne but there's somebody that that throne belongs to that she doesn't know is still alive. Verse 12, And he was with them hid in the house of God six years, and Athaliah reigned over the land. What a harrowing six years it was. They had to conceal the child from killer grandma, the bogus queen. And here she was. I mean, one false move, one discovery. It's all over with. The kid would have been history. I'm, I'm telling you, I bet you that was a, an intense six years for Auntie Beth to, to, to keep the kid and, and to raise him, to keep him quiet. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 23, verse number 1. The Bible says, And in the seventh year, <clears throat> Jehoiada strengthened himself. Jehoiada was the priest, and he was a good priest, and he knew what was going on. His wife, uh, the, the aunt of Joash, uh, I mean, he was a good man and was plugged into the Lord, knew what was going on, knew what should have took place, and, and saw the wickedness of this bogus queen who's sitting on the throne, and he's, and he's got this plan the whole time. <coughs> what, a, what a priest. What a leader from behind the curtain here. But here he is. <coughs> and it says, And in the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself. This is the seventh year of Joash. Now he's seven years old. 
And he took the captains of hundreds, Azariah the son of Jehoram, and Ishmael the son of Jehohanan, captains of hundreds, uh, um, and Azariah the son of Obed, and Messiah the son of Adiah, and uh, Elishaphat the son of Zikri, into covenant with him. Okay, so he, he takes the leaders and he, and he calls a meeting and he says, guys, listen to me. We've got a chance to save the nation, to save the throne. And this is what happened. We saved one of the seed royal. Joash is alive. He's seven years old. We're going to put him on the throne, but we need to come into a covenant here. We, made to, we need to make an agreement that you and I agree to go ahead and give our lives for this because if it fails, we're all dead. We know that. So we've got to come and we've got to be strong here, but here's a chance to watch God have victory here. So we, I need you guys. I need you. And they all go into a covenant. Verse 2, and they went about in Judah and gathered the Levites out of all the cities of Judah and all the chief of the fathers of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. And all the congregation made a covenant with the king. Now here are the Levites, those were the servants of the temple. Now these people were godly people. These people that wanted to see God to, to uh, be vindicated. And they, they, saw, they saw through this wicked queen, Athaliah, and her, her bogus reign. And they said, you know what? That's right. Let's, let's do all that we can to get Joash on the throne. And so they all, the people, make a covenant together. And this is in secret. They, don't, they, they need to keep this from the queen. Verse 3 again. And all the congregation made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said unto them, Behold, the king's son shall reign. Notice what he says here. As the Lord hath said of the sons of David. You see, it was God that promised that David's uh, 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 posterity would continue even bringing the Messiah later on. So there had to be somebody to continue of of David's uh, uh, sons. And here he was, the only man, Joash. Seven-year-old Joash. He says, listen, now, now God promised this, and we know God's for this. This is of the will of the Lord, so I need you to be, be true, man. I need you to be courageous. I need you to be steadfast. We, we've got a job to do. As the Lord hath said of the sons of David, the king's son shall reign. Verse 4, <clears throat> this is the thing that ye shall do. A third part of you entering on the Sabbath of the priest and of the Levites shall be porters of the doors. Okay, a third of you at the door. And a third part shall be at the king's house. And a third part at the gate of the, found, uh, of the foundation. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. But let none come into the house of the Lord, save priests. And they that minister of the Levites, they shall go in, for they are holy. But all the people shall keep watch of the Lord. Everybody had a job. Everybody had a place to be. Everybody had something that was so vital for them to, 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 to stand at their post. And, and all the people, you're going to be here, a third here, a third here. And we've got to surround the place. We've got to make sure that somebody doesn't get to, to uh, the other party. And he says, we, you need to keep watch of the Lord. Verse 7. And the Levites shall come past the king round about, every man with his weapons in his hand. And whosoever else cometh into the house, he shall be put to death. But be ye with the king when he cometh in and when he goeth out. But wait a minute, guys. Wait. These are priests. This is the temple. Priests don't have weapons. How are they going to protect little King Joash from, from Athaliah's personal guards? <coughs> and you know that she was, 
She was surrounded by her own. You know that she had power. You know that she had military might because that's the way that she ruled. How are they going to protect little Joash from, from the, 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 uh, uh, the paid military that, that uh, Athaliah had? They don't have weapons. Oh, but there are weapons. Look what it says. The Bible says they forgot about the trophy case. Verse number 8. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all things that Jehoiada the priest had commanded and took every man his men that were to come in on the Sabbath with them that were to go out on the Sabbath for Jehoiada the priest dismissed not the courses. That's interesting here. See, because there's a, a, a course of priests are supposed to come in, they're to do their job, and then they're to go out. And another course, another uh, 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 group of priests were to come in, they were to do their job, and they were to go out, and another one would to come in. You know what he did? He had him come in, and he says, okay, you guys, wait here. We're not dismissing you. The other guys came in. Stay here. The other guys came in, and they built up, and, and then they had enough men to take care of it, enough power to, to surround uh, King Joash, enough protection. And so he, it, it says he dismissed not the courses, verse 9. Moreover, Jehoiada the priest delivered to the captain's of hundreds, spears and bucklers and shields that had been King David's, which were in the house of God. Hey, folks, the trophy case. You remember, over 180-some years prior to that, David began to build that trophy case. And there were enough swords and shields and weapons and spears for him to pass out to all of these, the priests that were there. Verse 10. And he set all the people, every man having his weapon in his hand, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple, along by the altar and the temple, by the king, round about. And notice, listen, they had to circle the king. They had to be uh, like Alexander's flanks. They couldn't let anything get to the king. Everybody had to be in their place. They didn't have any gaps. They had to make sure to, to protect. And they, and they, they uh, 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 distributed all the weapons. And then a, a big word, verse number 11, then... Then, after they were armed, after they distributed the trophies of David, after they took all of those weapons, all of the spears and shields and swords that were won in great victories and in, in battles gone by, then they brought out the king's son and put him on the crown and put on him the crown and gave him the testimony and made him king. And Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, God save the king. Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came to the people in the house of the Lord, and she looked, and behold, the king stood at his pillar at the entering in, and the princes and the trumpets by the king, and all the people of the land rejoiced, and sounded with trumpets all the singers with instruments of music, and as such taught to sing praise. It's, hey, the cat's out of the bag. They've seen the king. They've seen the real king. She had no recourse all of a sudden, she sees what's going on here. And the Bible says, verse uh, number 13, the last part of that, Then Athaliah rent her clothes and said, Treason! Treason! It's too late. Too late. Then Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of hundreds that were set over the host and said unto them, Have her forth of the ranges, and whoso followeth her, let him be slain with the sword. For the priest said, Slay her not in the house of the Lord. For they laid hands on her, and when she was come to entering into the horse gate by the king's house, they slew her there. 
And Jehoiada made a covenant between him and between all the people and between the king that they should be the Lord's people. New sheriff in town, how about that? He says, hey, we're not doing this like we did before. No, no, we're going we're gonna to be law-abiding. We're going to go by God's rules here. And he, said, and he made a covenant. He says, hey, we're going to go into this covenant. I'm going to keep you accountable. You're going to keep me accountable. They made a covenant that they should be the Lord's people. Then all the people went to the house of Baal and break it down. And then the rest of those verses, well, I tell you what, they, they did a house cleaning. Verse 21, and all the people of the land rejoiced. And the city was quiet after that they had slain Athaliah with the sword. Whew. Look at the next chapter. It's, uh, 2 Chronicles 24.1. Here's where we started. Joash was seven years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Ziba of Beersheba. And Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. It was a new new sheriff, yeah, a new regime, a new counselor, a new era of following the laws of God All this made possible by the victories of David 185 years before this this day. Three thoughts, it will be done. Prior victories were used to, number one, protect the rightful king. Did you get that? Prior victories, the victories that David had in his life, where he stepped out where he trusted God, where God proved himself strong on David's behalf and on the people's behalf, those victories protected the rightful king of that day. See, had David no conquest, the day would have been lost. It wouldn't have mattered how how many people that they had. If they didn't have the weapons to protect him, it would have been all for naught. Little Joash would have been killed. Joash would have perished. But see, God used men. He used Jehoiada, the priest. He, he used uh, Antibeth to accomplish his plan and his program. See, they knew that God promised the seed of David to be king. Maybe God will use me today. What do you, what do you think? What do you, what do you guess? You think God might use us today to accomplish his will? God said that his, uh, David's seed would remain on the throne, and here is little Joash, the last. Maybe God will use me today. It was worth sacrificing their lives for. Let me tell you something, folks. It's worth sacrificing my life for God's glory. You understand that? Whatever God, you know that song that we sang earlier? I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. You know what? Serving the Lord, there's, there is no greater. Don't you understand that there's, there is a cause, folks, and there's a purpose, and it's much, much more than <coughs> making money and amassing wealth or living comfortably or getting the latest car or having the best job or having the best retirement. You know what, folks? There's something more than that. There is a cause, and there's a cause today, 2017, for serving God and for standing for Him and you know what? Those people back then, they understood, hey, this may, cause, this may cost us our lives, but we're willing to. Why? Because it was worth it. It's worth sacrificing my life 
for the king back then, just as it's worth sacrificing my life today for the king of kings. See, there are some things worth sacrificing for. Folks, I can think of some things right now, right off the top, top of my head. How about freedom? How about, how about righteousness? How about truth? How about integrity? How about the church? How about the Lord Jesus Christ? How about God? How about sacrificing yourself for family? You know, we're, we're in such a selfish condition today. We're in such a selfish mode where everything is for me. If I'm not happy, then, then what good is it? No, it's not about you. And it's not about me. How about serving God? How about putting others first? Listen, folks, there's, there is a cause. The prior victories were used that day to, number one, protect the rightful king. Number two, they were used, those prior victories were used to arm good men. <clears throat> See, we're in a battle today for the Lord. 2 Timothy 2, 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Don't you know that God has chosen you to be a soldier? Are you a good soldier or are you a bad soldier? We're all in the, in the army, in the army of the Lord, every single one of us. You can't say you're not. You can't say, well, that's the preacher. That's... No, no, no. If you're, if you're saved, if you're born again, you're on God's team, you're in the army now. Okay? And you're a soldier. Are you a good soldier? Or are you entangling yourself with the affairs of this life? Other things are more important than God's will in my life. Hey, you know what? Those victories back, way back, almost 200 years prior to this time, armed some good men because of the battle that they were in. And you know what? <clears throat> in, in that story, every man got a weapon. <laughs> there is a shield. There is a spear. There is a sword for you. And there is a sword for me. And we've, listen, the, the, the safety of Joash depended upon everybody in that circle standing their ground. They couldn't have anybody fizzling. They couldn't have anybody failing. They could, there couldn't be gaps in that circle. If there were gaps, it was all over with. Everybody had their place. Folks, you've got a place. You know what? Sometimes when you're, you're you know, at work or whatever and you're trying to witness and, and somebody says, oh, yeah, that's like, uh, <clears throat> that's like Ted over here. You know, he says he's a Christian, and he goes to this church out there, but you know what? I, I heard him the other day. He's telling this filthy story. And, you know, if that's, if that's Christianity, well, then, you know, they're all hypocrites. Yeah, somebody, somebody's uh, failed in, in their spot. Somebody's let the enemy in. Hey, folks, we've got a spot to, to, to fulfill. We've got a place, and you've got to, there can be no gaps. We've got to go ahead and do what we can in that battle, there is a shield and there's a sword and there's a spear for you and for me. Prior victories, the victories of David were used to protect the rightful king, to arm good men, and then to eliminate the opposition. <clears throat> Athaliah needed an adjustment. <laughs> and she got one. Thank God. Folks, had David not seen the Lord do many great things in his life, there would be no victory that day. You understand that? We, we build 
on the faith, on the labor, on the victories of others and on the past. Or in our life in the past. You see, if we don't have victory today, there's not going to be victory tomorrow. Did you hear what I said? If you don't have some trophies in your trophy case today, what are they going to do tomorrow? There is no protection. There is no victory then. There is no conquest then. I just want to ask you one question. You know, there's, you know, a message like this is kind of just a story, but it, this is it. If you, if you missed this, then you're, you missed the message. What are you going to do to ensure that your family, that your kids, that your grandkids, your great-grandkids, the next generation has victory tomorrow? What, what does your spiritual trophy case look like? Do you have anything that, I mean, when God has done some great things, answered some prayers, and done some wonderful things in your life that you've taken in your tent and said, can you believe this? Can you believe what God did? He actually used me. He actually answered my prayer. He actually came through. Hey, you have, a, you have an abundant trophy case. You'll have victory. Have victory in the future. What does my trophy case look like? What does your spiritual trophy case look like? Folks, we better step out today. We, we, we better trust God today. We better watch God come through for us today. The next generation depends on it. Our, our, our spiritual condition in the future depends on it. Every, every head bowed. Nobody